And before we open up God's word together, I'm going to, uh, let, let's spend some time in prayer. <clears throat> Our Father who is in heaven, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. So great to have a big brother like you. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Welcome. Hallowed be your name. In our worship this day, in our lives this week, in our community, may your name, Jesus, be lifted up. May your name be treated as holy. Your kingdom come. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us that we would follow King Jesus and help spread the, the gospel of the kingdom through all the nations. King Jesus, we look forward to you coming back one day when your kingdom is here in all of its fullness. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, help us to, to do God's will on earth and may it spread from person to person so that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh Lord, many of us have lost our jobs, meet our needs. Others have jobs, Lord, protect our jobs. Lord, meet our needs as a church. Meet the needs of the churches in this community and around the world during this trying time. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, and our relational needs, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We have spent a lot of time around family and, and it's hard, so forgive us so we can be forgiving toward those in our family and in our church and our community. We pray that you would lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, deliver us from the evil that's in us, in our flesh. Many of us are isolated. Deliver us from our flesh and deliver us from the world and it's always trying to squeeze us into its mold and deliver us from the evil one. We pray as we open your word together today that you would teach us and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Last week, we talked about Abram, and I spoke to an empty room, and I wonder, was anybody listening? Was anybody listening? And here's what I found out. I, I talked about surfing last Sunday, and one of our members sent me surf videos all week long. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I learned there were some people listening. And, and last week, last week, I talked about cheesecake, and I'm not making this up. On, uh, on Sunday afternoon, I'm sitting on my front porch and the Pollock family pulls up, and they get out of the car, and they had been to the Cheesecake Factory in, in Jacksonville, and Eli, and Kenley, and Kim, and Tim, they brought me, they brought me this cheesecake. Now, look, there's a card here they made me, and it was exactly what I talked about, okay? It was a Adam's peanut butter fudge ripple cheesecake. And man, I have been enjoying it all week. It has been so good. Thank you. And so we looked at Abram last week, and, and this week we're going to come back and look at Abram again. And what we're going to learn this week as we spend time learning about Abram, better known as Abraham, what we're going to learn is there is only one Jesus. There is only one Jesus. Well, well, what do I mean? Well, look at this picture. This picture is taken outside of Florida's football stadium. Notice there's, there's three statues there. Now, what do they have in common? Well, they're all gators, yes. And 
Um, what else do they have in common? Well, they're, they were all quarterbacks. Yep, that's what they have in common. They're all Heisman Trophy winners. You know what else they all have in common? Do you? They're all pastor's kids. Did you know that? That's right. Even Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier, Danny Werfel, Tim Tebow, they were all pastor's kids. Steve Spurrier's dad was a Presbyterian pastor. Now, there's one other thing they have in common. They're all still alive. And my wife, Karen, says all of our heroes should be dead. And you say, well, why should all of our heroes be dead? Because what if one of those guys goes out and does something really, really bad, and then you have their statue in front of their stadium? So listen, what we're going to learn today is there is only one Jesus. Everybody else is flawed. If you're looking for a good book to read, recently I finished reading a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. The Coddling of the American Mind. It's so good. It's not a Christian book, but it gives you great insight into our culture. It says there are three untruths that help us to understand our culture. And one of the untruths of our culture today is that people believe the world is divided into good people and bad people. Many people today believe the world is divided into good people and bad people. <clears throat> you ever noticed uh, how many people hate our president? It's because they view him as a bad person. So even if he kisses his wife, they'll find something wrong with that. But listen, what we're going to learn today is that's not a good way to look at the world. What the Bible teaches is there's only one Jesus and that means all the rest of us, all the rest of us, and especially me, we're all flawed. That's what we're going to be exploring. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. And if you weren't with us last week, let me bring you up to, to speed. We're going to be learning about Abram, better known as Abraham. He's 75 years old now. Uh, it's about 2,000 years B.C. That is about 4,000 years ago. And Jesus says to Abram, <clears throat> I want you to join me in bringing eternal life, bringing salvation to all the nations. And if you'll join me, I'll bless you and make you a blessing. And so Abram said yes. And, and uh, he began to follow Jesus and he left his country and he went to the promised land. And in the promised land, he built altars and he began to worship the Lord. And now we pick up the story. If you have your Bible, Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. You ever think how awful it would be if there was a famine and, and, you, and you couldn't find food for your family? So that's what was happening here. But listen... Listen, Abram believed in God. Abram followed God, and then he experienced right away what? In the promised land, he experienced adversity. Wow. I mean, sometimes we think, don't we, that if we follow Jesus, everything's going to go well in life. But it's so important, you know, that we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world, in a sin-scarred world. It's not the perfect world that God created. It's not the perfect world that will be one day. We live in a broken, sin-scarred world, and Christians are not, are not immune, just like Abram wasn't immune, even though he was following God. Matter of fact, listen to how Jesus wanted to prepare us for this. In John 16, 33, 
Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Don't we know that now? I mean, this coronavirus and many of us losing our jobs, financial stress. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus wanted us to know so we wouldn't be surprised. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Listen, through Jesus, we can overcome the world. Now, I want you to know this famine... (laughs) This famine is particularly puzzling to us, isn't it? Because you have Abram, you have Abram, who's a believer, and Abram's in the promised land, and Abram's worshiping the true God, and there's no food. But in Egypt, where they don't worship the true God, where they're not following God, they have food. How is that fair? You ever wonder that? How is that fair? And I want you to know that this is one of the inequities of living in a fallen world. One of the inequities of living in a fallen world is it just doesn't make sense because it's broken. So the first thing we saw is there was a famine in the land. Now, the next thing I want you to notice from this verse is so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. So Abram gets his family and he goes to Egypt. And here's my question for you, should he have gone? Should he have gone to Egypt? Um, So the Bible doesn't answer that question. The Bible doesn't answer that question for us, does it? So I want to teach you about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. How is that for a big word, hermeneutics? Listen, uh, hermeneutics is the science of interpretation, especially of the Bible. Did you see that? I want to equip you to be able to interpret the Bible. And so the word is hermeneutics, which is the science of interpretation, especially the Bible. So we look at a passage. How do we interpret it? Four words are really significant. Those words are historical, organic, grammatical, progressive. See those words? The word historical means if we want to interpret Scripture, we look at what was the setting of the story? What was the setting we ask the question, what would this verse have meant when it was first written, okay? What's the historical setting? Next, notice the word organic. The word organic means the Bible is a whole from beginning to end. So how does this story of Abram going to Egypt, how does it fit in the story of the Bible, which is the gospel? Next, see the word grammatical. What are the words? We believe in Plenary inspiration, that is the very words of Scripture were inspired. So what are the words? What are the words? That helps us to interpret it, right? And then lastly, it's progressive. Progressive. And what that means is the one story of the Bible, the gospel gets clearer as you go on. The the, the more that, that the gospel is revealed, the more clearly we see Jesus and the gospel, okay? So should... Abram have gone to Egypt. Now, one more principle. This is another principle of of interpretation that will help us here. And and that is that uh, historical sections should be interpreted in light of the teaching sections. One more time, I want you to hear this. We're reading about Abram, and he's going down to Egypt. and, and, And the passage doesn't tell us he should have gone, that was right, or he didn't go, that was wrong. So we have a section, so what do we do? Historical sections should be interpreted in light of the teaching sections. So 
there are many people who believe that it, that it was wrong for Abram to go to Egypt. And the reason was God didn't tell him to. He didn't ask God. He didn't pray about it. He just went. And as we read the rest of the scriptures, we discover that that Egypt is often used to describe us trusting in ourselves and not in God. Look at this passage in Isaiah. I mean, the Bible says we should trust God and not ourselves, right? So listen to Isaiah 30, verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who executes a plan but not mine, and make an alliance but not of my spirit in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me. See, often Israel, rather than running to God, they would run to Egypt. Is there something you run to other than God for your needs? Who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh. They would go for safety in Pharaoh rather than God and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt your humiliation. Uh, so there are many who believe that it was wrong for Abram to go down to Egypt because God didn't tell him to, he didn't pray about it, and he was trusting in his own understanding and not in God. But <clears throat> there are others who would say, no, no, he was just doing what any husband would do. He was providing for his family by going where there was food. And in the Bible, sometimes it was good for Israel to go down to Egypt, wasn't it? I mean, Jacob... As we get toward the end of this book, we're going to find that Jacob goes to Egypt, right? All 12 sons go to Egypt, right? Because once again, there was a famine and there was food in Egypt. And don't we read in the New Testament? Don't we read that Joseph, that Joseph takes Jesus when he's a little child and takes him down to Egypt? Don't we see that? But you know what? With Jacob, God told him to go, didn't he? And know what with Joseph? God told Joseph to do it. Me? What do I lean to? I lean toward the, for, the former. It seems like um, that Abram was not trusting God to provide for him when he said, I will bless you, and, and he was a little too quick to go down to Egypt. But that's how we interpret historical sections. We do it in light of the teaching sections, okay? So let's continue with the story. <clears throat> It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. Now, hey guys, Abram's about to ask Sarai to do something really, really crazy. So if you're going to ask your wife to do something crazy, maybe a good first step is what to tell her she's beautiful. Isn't that what he's doing here? Uh, he says, you are a beautiful woman. Here's, here's kind of the dilemma. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Now, Abram was going to go into Egypt, and he was going to be a nobody. He was going to be an alien, and he was afraid because aliens really don't have any rights, right? I mean, aren't there many aliens in our country, even illegal aliens, and, and they're really afraid because someone could murder them, and, and no one would really know about it or, or care? And, and that's what Abram's kind of thinking. He's afraid he's going to get to Egypt, and the Egyptians are going to kill him and take his wife because she's so good-looking. Um, man, one of the people I want to check out when I get to heaven is Sarai, don't you? Do you know how old she is now? 
<laughs> she's 65 years old. She's 65 years old, and, and Abram is worried that she's still so smoking hot that someone's going to kill him to get his wife. Isn't that crazy? Don't you want to see her? Wow. <clears throat> see now I know that you are a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. Wow, do you hear this? Abram, to save his own skin, is willing to let his wife sleep with someone else. Wow. Um, it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Right away, Sarai caught their eye. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. Now, NFL teams have scouts, and NBA teams have scouts, and college coaches have scouts. It seems like that Pharaoh had scouts, and the scouts looked for anyone who was beautiful in the land, and if they saw any beautiful women, they would bring them to the king, uh, to Pharaoh. Interesting, notice in verse 15, Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her. See the word praised? That in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, was written in Hebrew, is the word halal. Halal, we get from that hallelujah, right? Praise Jehovah. Interesting, the first time praise is used in the Bible. It's mostly used to describe God, but the first time the word is used in the Bible, it's used to praise the beauty of Sarai. Isn't that interesting? Praised her to Pharaoh. Man, she is amazing. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So Sarai was brought in to be a part of Pharaoh's harem. Now, Pharaoh's harem was probably similar to Esther. If, if you read the book of Esther, when Esther came into the king's harem, she didn't immediately go into the bedroom. She spent a year getting beautiful before she was brought into the bedroom. And that's probably what happened here, is that she became a part of the Pharaoh's harem, and they were trying to make her even more beautiful before she came into the Pharaoh's bedroom. Now notice this. Then he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He tells a lie. He tells a lie, and, and he's rewarded. He's made rich. How is that fair? Listen. Once again, it's one of the inequities of living in a fallen world. How often we tell people, well, you shouldn't do that because there's consequences of sin. Well, maybe eternally, but not always in this life. Listen, Abram tells a lie, and what happens? He gets rewarded for it, doesn't he? He, he gets rich at Sarai's expense by telling a lie. Then he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants. He's made rich through his lie, right, through his scheme. Um, and female donkeys. I didn't know this, but I found out this week in my study that female donkeys uh, were, they were more reliable than male donkeys. Go and figure that, right? And so they were a preferred ride. People would rather ride on a female donkey than a male. So listen, he was made rich. He was given BMWs, the equivalent of a BMWs, uh, female donkeys and camels. This is 2,000 years B.C., and they're just starting to ride camels and finding how amazing they are, especially in the desert. So they would be like getting Ferraris. I mean, he was made rich. 
He was given BMWs and Ferraris and all this for telling a lie, right? Um, listen, God has a plan for the world, and no one's going to get in his way. Abram's not going to get in his way. Uh, Pharaoh's not going to get in his way. God is determined to bless all the world through one of Abram's descendants. So God intervenes in the situation. And though uh, Abram is being rewarded by Pharaoh, notice what God does to Pharaoh. Uh, but the Lord struck Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? So plagues came on Pharaoh's house because of taking Sarai. And um, I think some of you say, well, wait a minute. What about, what about this coronavirus? Is, is that a plague on us for this? Um, well, let's look at this plague. Notice with this plague, this plague was for for Pharaoh's sin, but I want you to understand something too. Pharaoh knew why the plague came, didn't he? He knew this had come upon him by, for taking Sarah as his wife. Well, how did he know that? Well, either God told him and he knew, or Pharaoh perceived that everybody had these plagues in his house except for Sarai and Abram. But listen, he knew why the plague had come. Um, Seems to me if the coronavirus had come on us because of our sins, well, we would certainly deserve it, wouldn't we? But isn't it a worldwide pandemic, isn't it? It, uh, it seems like it affects the, the whole world, doesn't it? And it seems to me it's more of just one of the consequences of living in a fallen, sin-scarred world where God is reminding all of us that we're all going to die, if not from the coronavirus, but something else. And the most important thing we can do in life is be prepared to die by believing in Jesus. Have you? Um, a plague struck and someone, I was reading this passage with someone this week and they said, well, why didn't God scold Pharaoh? Why, I mean, why didn't God scold Abram for telling a lie? Why didn't he? And again, remember the hermeneutical principle we learned earlier? Remember that we interpret, we interpret historical sections in light of the teaching sections. And often in the Bible, it tells us what happened, but it doesn't interpret it for us. So let me help you interpret what Abram did. In the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment, look at the Ninth Commandment. Notice what it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do you see that? A lot of people think the ninth commandment is you shall not lie, but that's not it. The ninth commandment is you shall not bear false witness. Because in reality, in reality, Abram did not tell a lie, but he did bear false witness. You see, this would not be the last time that Abram would bear false witness about his wife. And what we're going to find out is this tendency to lie or to bear false witness would be passed on to Isaac, his son, and he would do the same thing. And then would be passed on to Jacob, who would do the same thing. Later in Genesis, when we get to chapter 20, Abram has done the same thing. He's borne false witness about his wife. And so this time, notice what he says. In Genesis 20, 12, besides... She actually is my sister. 
the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. She was his half-sister. And before you go, ooh, listen, Abram was not many generations from Noah. And about everybody was related to each other in that day because everyone came from Noah and his sons, right? Um, bearing false witness is much broader than telling a lie. I mean, so if you, you go to court and, and you're going to be a witness in a trial and they make you swear in, do you promise or do you swear to tell what? Do you swear to tell the, the truth? What? The whole truth, right? And nothing but the truth. Because they understand that people can bear false witness without telling a lie. So, <clears throat> I, I, I love how it goes here. Why did you say, back in verse 19, why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. The Hebrew here is so good. There's only four words here. The four words are, here, wife, take, go. Don't you love that? Here, wife, take, go. Get your wife and get out of Egypt. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Wow. Listen, God wants to bless us and make us a blessing to the nations, right? But because Abram bore false witness, he wasn't a blessing to Abram and his family, was he? Or to Pharaoh and his family. But here's what I want you to know about Abram. Abram is one of my heroes. Abram is one of my heroes. He's in the Faith Hall of Fame. He's in Hebrews 11. He's in the false Faith Hall of Fame, and there are more verses, more verses in the Faith Hall of Fame devoted to Abram than any other person in there. More. Wow. Abram, he believed God. He, he followed God. He joined God in bringing eternal life to all the nations. He failed a lot, but he never gave up. He's one of my heroes, but he's not Jesus. He's not Jesus. There is only one Jesus. Listen, Abram was like Jesus, and he pointed to Jesus, but what? He, <laughs> he's not Jesus. You know why? Because there is only one Jesus. And isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the good news of the gospel, that there is only one Jesus? I mean, in our culture, people think that people think that people are divided into good people and bad people, but the gospel says that's not true, Right? Listen, the gospel says that's not true. The bad news of the gospel is this. The bad news of the gospel is there is a very thick line. There's a very thick line between good and evil. And there's only one on the side of good, right? And his name is Jesus. And all of us, right? We're all on the side of evil. All of us, right? What does the Bible say? It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, look at that verse. How many? All. You see that thick line? None of us are on the side of good. We're all on the side of sin. Now, you do know how people in our culture say that. The way we make excuses for people is we say they're what? They're just humans, right? They're just humans. Well, what the Bible says is they're sinners. 
They're sinners. That every one of us has committed crime after crime against God, and we're in big trouble. The bad news of the gospel is there is a very thick line between good and evil, and all of us are on the side of evil. But the good news is there's one on the side of good. There's one who is good. His name is Jesus. There is one Jesus Jesus is unique. He's God who became a man. God the Son put on flesh, came to earth, and he was truly good. He lived a life of perfect obedience. So then he was able to go to the cross and die in our place for sinners. So Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and and then he rose proving he had conquered sin and death. Him walking out of the tomb proved that he had conquered sin and death, and he could offer to us eternal life as a free gift, forgiveness for our sins, the opportunity to do life with him and for him, and eternity with him and for him, right? Oh, there is only one Jesus. Isn't that what the Bible teaches in Acts chapter 4, verse 12? And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Do you know what religions do? And religions offer you a ladder. They put a ladder down into the hole with you and say, climb out. But not Jesus. Jesus climbs down into the hole with us. And he says, get on my back and I will lift you out of the hole. Won't you get on his back? Won't you? What did Jesus say? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus doesn't give us a ladder. He climbs down. He says, climb on my back and I will lift you out. I will save you. So how do we get on his back? How do we get eternal life? We believe in Jesus. And that really is as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and believe and commit. It starts when we admit. Jesus is not just other people, but listen, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. Won't you do that? And, and we believe, right? Jesus, I believe. You didn't throw me a ladder. You're the way. You're the way. You lived and died and rose for me, won't you? And then we commit to him. We climb on his back, right? Say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Give me eternal life. We say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. And from this day forward, I'll follow you. Won't you believe? Man, you can do that right where you are if you'd like. You can do that right now, or I'll give you a chance in a moment when we close in prayer. Um, There is only one Jesus. That's what we've learned. That's what we've learned. All of us need to climb on his back and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me, won't you? And for those of you who have, the action step for this week, the action step for this week is that Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. I want you to pray that this week. I want you to preach that to yourself over and over and over again. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. I want you to know that verse is, or that, that, that prayer is literally true of me because I keep going to the skin doctor and they keep cutting off body parts. It's literally true that Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. I want you to know that comes directly out of the Bible. Uh, in John chapter 3, some of John's disciples come to John and they say, John, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. Everybody's leaving you. They're all leaving you. They're all going to Jesus. And John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. 
He must increase, but I must decrease. Some people thought that was hard for John. No, John goes, shoo, shoo. There is only one Jesus. My job is to point people to Jesus, not to be Jesus. <laughs> Listen, this should be a huge release to us. Jesus must increase, I must decrease, okay? So what would that look like in our lives this week? <clears throat> Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Listen, that means we would enjoy Jesus so much more this week. We would enjoy Jesus so much more this week if our prayer was Jesus must increase and I must decrease. I mean, we learned last week what? We learned last week what? That, that when we believe in Jesus, we're blessed, aren't we? We're blessed with we're a Savior. We're blessed that we don't have to be good because he was good for us, right? Oh, one of the most encouraging verses to me in the Bible is, it is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Listen, I've been a Christian for a long, long time. Life has humbled me. Marriage has humbled me. Uh, parenting has humbled me. Uh, being a, a pastor has humbled me, but there are two things, two things I am convinced of. Number one, I am a great sinner. We both agree on that, right? I am a great sinner, and number two, I have a great Savior. Oh man, when I came to faith in Christ, I thought there were two or three things I, I did that were wrong, and, 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 uh, and once they were gone, Jesus, you know, I would be like Jesus, and so I saw my sin like this, and I saw Jesus' love like this, but oh, many, many, many days later, man, I am a great sinner, but oh, oh, I have a great Savior. This week... I pray that you are continually reminding yourself, Jesus must increase, I must decrease, that you would realize that you're a great sinner, but oh, you have a great, great Savior. So that as we pray this week and as we preach to ourselves over and over again, Jesus must increase, I must decrease, we'll enjoy Jesus more and we'll be able to point others toward him. We'll be able to point other people toward Jesus because Jesus said if we followed him, not only would we be blessed, but we'd be a blessing. And one of the ways we can be a blessing to others this week and point people to Jesus is by being gracious to others. Being gracious. Listen to this. In Ephesians 4, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, where do we get the ability to do that? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We're around our family a little bit more. It's hard to be with family, isn't it? What an opportunity we have as Jesus forgives us to point others to Jesus by forgiving those in our family, right? By forgiving those in our family, just like we've been forgiven. How about in the church? Listen, how about being gracious to one another in the church? Listen, if your pastor did something really, really bad, now I'm not confessing this, but if I did do something really, really bad, would you be gracious to me, would you? Or your small group leader, would you? Listen, if I did something really, really bad, you should be brokenhearted, but you shouldn't be shocked, right? I mean, what did we read about Abram today? Would you be gracious and forgiving toward me, would you? 
Listen, we have an opportunity to point people toward Jesus by being gracious to one another in our family and church. How about in our community? How about in our community? Don't we live in a gotcha community, don't we? Where people are looking, especially at their enemies, and they're just waiting for them to say one word wrong, right? Or do one deed wrong, and then they go, what? Gotcha! Do you want to live in a gotcha culture, do you? <laughs> what an opportunity we have to be gracious, right? and to point people toward Jesus. Um, did you hear about that NASCAR driver, and, and he's playing a video game, and, and he uses a racial slur? Listen, uh, I am no fan of racial slurs. What, what a terrible thing, but can we talk? I am really capable of using a bad word, too. Are you? Have you ever used a bad word? Would you really like to live in a culture where your whole life and career could be ruined by one word or one deed? Oh, man, when you're with someone this week and they so quickly condemn someone else, why not say, you know, <laughs> I've used some bad words myself too, right? See, I'm a great sinner, but oh, I have a great Savior, right? Listen, be gracious this week. Be gracious this week, okay? You know, another way we can, uh, can point others to Jesus is we can be encouraged that Jesus, that Jesus, can use, Jesus can do great things through deeply flawed people. Can he? Isn't that encouraging? The story of the Bible is that Jesus can do great things through deeply flawed people. You know why he uses deeply flawed people? That's all there is. Haven't we learned about Noah? Yes, Jesus used Noah to save the world, but Noah got off the boat and he what, got drunk and naked, didn't he? And listen, Jesus used Abram to help bring salvation to all the nations, but Abram lied about his wife multiple times. How about David? I'm working with a couple. I'm working with a couple going through pre-marriage counseling and and the guy, I think it's the first time he's really read the Bible, the first time, and, and, and he read about David, and he said, this guy, this guy committed adultery. He committed adultery, and, and then he committed murder to cover it up. And yet, so many of the songs we sing, aren't they ones that he wrote? Listen, he's in the Faith Hall of Fame. Jesus uses deeply flawed people to accomplish amazing things, doesn't he? Well, how about in the New Testament? Peter had some real racial problems. He didn't like Gentiles. How about Paul? Man, he had a temper, and one time he and Barnabas got in such a fight that they couldn't patch it up. How about me? Man, I'm deeply flawed, but you know what? Jesus even uses me to point others to Jesus. Last Saturday, Karen got a text from Grace Master's daughter, Denise, and, and Denise said, my mom is in hospice, and they only allow one visitor twice a day, one at 11 and one at 3. Would you or Smiley go visit my mom today at 3? And, and Karen says, Smiley, why don't you go at 3, and, and I'll go on Monday. I'll go on Monday. And so on Saturday, a week ago, I, I go to hospice and... Um, and I get to go into Grace's room, and I get to open up the Bible, and I read to her John 14, and she was so glad I came. Isn't that amazing? She was glad I came with all of my flaws, 
And, and I spent the whole hour with her. It was so good. We read scripture. We prayed. We talked about how amazing heaven would be. We laughed. And then Grace died on Sunday morning, and I was the last guest she had. Oh, man, I am so blessed that Jesus would use me to help Grace uh, on that day that she was going to be with Jesus. And I want you to know that just as Jesus can use me with all of my flaws, he can use you too. He can use you too. Why don't you this week, why don't you this week share with someone, hey, know what we learned in church on Sunday? What we learned in church on Sunday is there is only one Jesus. There is only one Jesus. And I believe the person's going to say, well, what does that mean? And there's your opportunity, right? What we learned is there's a very thick line. There's a very thick line between good and evil. And we're all on the side of evil, especially me. Don't you think the person would say, what? And you can share the gospel with them, right? Oh, you can share the gospel with them. Or, or here's another scenario. Maybe this week you invite someone to, to join us in worship. Maybe we'll be able to meet together. Or, or online, you invite someone to worship and they say to you, listen, I don't want to go to church. And you say, why? And they say, because I know people at work. I know people at work that are way better than people in church. Smile, okay? And, and agree with them. Say, me too. Me too. You know why? You know why there's nicer people at work than in church? Because the people in my church are so rotten, they realize they desperately need a Savior. And the people you work with, they're not that rotten, but they're rotten, but not as rotten as the people in church. Matter of fact, do you know your observation is exactly what we learned in church last week? What we learned in church last week was there was this unbeliever, Pharaoh, and he acted way better than the believer in the story, Abram. So what you observed is exactly what the Bible teaches. Wouldn't that be a great conversation, wouldn't it? Oh, dear people, this week, pray, preach to yourself over and over again, Jesus must increase, I must decrease, right? Jesus must increase, I must decrease. And listen, enjoy Jesus this week and then point others toward him. You know the best way to point others to him? Not to tell other people what sinners they are. No. Tell someone else what a sinner you are. Share with someone this week, there are two things I know as a Christian. I am a great sinner. And secondly, I have a great Savior. Won't you share that with someone this week? Let's pray. Jesus, so thankful that there is one Jesus one Savior, so thankful you lived a good life, you died in our place, you rose conquering sin and death, and you offer us eternal life. And, and listen, if, if you've never received that gift and you'd like to, remember it's as simple as ABC. Won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And, and won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit Jesus, from now on, I'm going to trust you and not me. Forgive me. Give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. 
Oh, if you've prayed that for the first time, remember Jesus says that when we believe in him, he gives us eternal life. And Jesus, I pray for all of us who, who believe in you that, that we would this week remember there is only one Jesus and we'd quit trying to be you, but we would enjoy you. Lord, help us to enjoy you, that you are a great, great Savior. And Lord, I pray this week that we would point others to you, that we would be gracious to others, that, Lord, we would share with others that what, what, what we learned today and, and that we would invite others to, to come and join us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being with us today. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ uh, for the first time, won't you text us? Won't you text us at this number? Uh, 904-222-6004. Won't you text ABC to this number? Uh, we'd love to celebrate with you and pray for you and, and encourage you. Listen, thanks for being with us today. We, we'd love to uh, have you with us next week. Um, maybe we'll even be able to meet together in person, but we'll let you know. So let me send you out to, to be a blessing to other people with, uh, with God's blessing, okay? Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.